Well, I'm really excited to be able to speak to you guys this morning. My name is Gary. I'm the youth pastor. So you gotta, you gotta bear with me because this is like bringing in the third string quarterback for a little bit of game time experience here, okay? That's what this is all about. But no, really, I'm just kidding about that. You know, God can use all of us as long as we get out of the way and allow Him to speak through us. So that is my prayer this morning, honestly, that I get out of the way and allow God to speak through me. But I'm excited to have this opportunity. And usually in the past, when I've preached in the big church, I've just grabbed a lesson from youth group. And uh, just kind of elaborated on that, made it a little longer. Is there something like, a, can you guys hear reverb or anything? Okay. I might just move this away. That's okay. There we go. All right. So, yes. Uh, usually in the past, I've taken the youth group lesson and just kind of elaborated on it, talked a little more about it. However, this time's a little different because Pastor Brent asked me to uh, follow suit with what he's teaching on as he works through the book of Second Corinthians. So it's a little different for me. Um, and you guys know how, how kind Pastor Brent is, right? You know how nice he is. He was kind enough to give me two different topics to choose between. Now, the first one was giving generously. So it's following up on his last two sermons that he did the last two weeks. The other one was church discipline. Yeah, he's a nice guy, isn't he? <laughs> So probably not too surprising, I chose to go with giving generously. And that's what we're going to discuss today in 2 Corinthians 9. Um, now, considering Pastor Brent has already taught two sermons on, on the grace of giving, um, I'm going to try to make it so that it's not too repetitive and hopefully bring in some new material. That is what's left, because he already took all the good illustrations and good stories. But, you know, you as a church of faith here are some of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. And I'm serious about that. Uh, whether it's our church events, in-house, trunk or treat, or any of the other events that we have, or the community events, Easter explosion, day in the park, all these different things. But also, even right down to me personally, helping my family out. You know, we've been on the receiving end of getting meals delivered right to our house, and also many other blessings. There's so many faces that I'm seeing right now where my family has been blessed by the people here of faith. And I'm blown away, honestly, with the generosity that flows from this body of Christ right here. So that's to say, or that's all to say, this certainly isn't a scolding in an effort to get you guys to give more. That's not what this is about. In fact, this message is to encourage you to continue giving generously, but also to show you the benefits of doing so, as it says right in God's word. So that's what we're going to discuss this morning. In fact, about a month ago, maybe a month and a half or so, I was doing announcements and I was able to lead up a little bit about the snow camp that was up and coming. And I was able to tell you guys how powerful and awesome snow camp truly is. And it can be life changing for these teens. And I asked you guys if, you know, if God's laying on your heart to maybe sponsor a teen or half a sponsor, whatever it may be, just see me after in the foyer. Well, after service, I was overwhelmed with how many people came up to me and said, yeah, I'd love to sponsor whether it was half or full whatever it was. And we were able to cover every single team that needed financial assistance. That's pretty cool. But that is just to show you how amazing this church is and how blessed we are. God has blessed this church of faith. It's awesome. Well, giving can be a tough subject to preach on, especially as a youth pastor, but really it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be because there is so many passages in scripture that talk about giving financially or giving of other things, whether it's food, clothes, uh, any of those sort of things, anything that supplies the needs of others. So it's obviously an important topic to God, and he wants us to be able to discuss that as believers. 
But he also wants us to be able to give freely as Christians, give generously and with a genuine smile on our face as we do so. Because giving goes hand in hand with being a Christian. Now, that doesn't mean you need to give everything generously, all right? Some things are better kept to yourself. In fact, Abe Lincoln, when he first became president, he had all kinds of people from around the country coming up to him looking for various jobs to get appointed to various jobs. Well, once he was confined to a bed with fever, and then he called his secretary and he said, hey, come on in, bring in all the office seekers because now I have something to give everybody. (laughs) So, you know, you don't need to be generous with that sickness or even that weird rash that you have, okay? Keep that to yourself. Well, Pastor Brent discussed over the past couple weeks the grace of giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, he shared with us how Paul actually bragged on the joy and the love of the Macedonians. Now, these Macedonians were actually stricken with poverty and affliction, but they were dirt poor. They didn't have much for material goods, yet even so, they gave beyond their means. They gave beyond their ability to do so. Just that statement alone proves that nothing's impossible with God. That's pretty cool. Um, when I'm reading through a passage of scripture or going through the Bible and, and I come across something like Macedonia or some other country, uh, I really like to see a map and kind of see where the region is. So I want to show you guys a map real quick. Okay. This is a map of Greece. Uh, the northern region is Macedonia. And now you see the southern region is actually Achaia. And Corinth is the capital of Achaia. Now to give you an idea of how far apart Achaia is to Macedonia, it's about 360 miles. And it would take you six hours to drive. Now, considering they don't have a sweet minivan that I have to drive that distance, they would have to walk it. The good news is it would cut the mileage down to about 280. um, But the bad news is it would still take 92 hours to walk, according to MapQuest. That's quite a hike. So uh, in relation, if you left our church parking lot and went to New York City, that's about 380 miles. It'll take you about six hours and 40 minutes to drive. This is just to show you that we're not talking about something down the street. This Corinth and Macedonia is quite the long haul away. All right, back to the giving of the Macedonians. Because Paul defines this love that took place with the Macedonians as grace that came down. And it didn't take away the affliction or poverty. Now, that doesn't sound like the prosperity gospel, right, that Mr. Osteen's preaching these days. Because the poverty and affliction remained. That was still there. But here's the promise. It brought an abundance of joy. And that joy surged and overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That's what took place in the Macedonians. And that's the result of willing and generous giving that that we're talking about this morning. That's available to all of us. Now, we're doing a Bible study right now with our senior high group. Um, We actually met Friday night. It's called Blazing Center, and it's fantastic. Actually, it's on Right Now Media, so you guys are all welcome to check those videos out. But in the book, John Piper defines love as this, the overflow of abundant joy in God that meets the needs of others. He goes on to say that instead of searching for pleasure from this world or pleasure from the flesh, your pleasure will ultimately come from serving God. You know, the world tells us that we should get a return for every good deed that we do, you know, helping the little old lady across the street. I don't really know why we always use that one, but it always works. Um, Or helping give a meal to someone less fortunate, right? Today's culture says that those good deeds should bring good karma back to you. So joy and prosperity will actually follow such noble acts. Well, the problem is, is that the abundance of joy that we're talking about cannot be found in this world. 
Because this overwhelming joy only comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is love. So this is a joy that is given by God alone. Well, now we come to our text this morning. And if you've ever played any sports, or maybe played some instruments, or, or maybe even been in a musical or a play, you understand the importance of putting the time and the effort into practicing uh, and also putting that time and effort in and even the verbal commitment of saying, I'm going to be committed to do this thing. Well, all that practice, all that time, all that effort, and the verbal commitment doesn't amount to much if you can't perform or execute when the time comes during the game or during the recital, during the musical, during the play, during the speech, <laughs> whatever it is. Well, here in the text, we're going to see that Paul is ready to put the game plan in action. So now he's calling for the church of Corinth to execute when it matters most. Because as we've heard in the past week or so, uh, the willingness of the Corinthians and their, their excitement to give was actually committed and, and shown a year prior. So now it's time to act or act. So Paul is not just persuading them to give. He's, uh, he's helping them to complete that commitment. So essentially his letter is to prepare the believers to give and so bountifully and with a cheerful heart while they do it. And now this previously promised gift made from a year ago should come from a flow of God's grace. So it will be cheerfully given. It's important to know, and I think Pastor Brent's noted it the last couple weeks, that the, the giving we're talking about tonight or this morning is not tithe in this passage, but rather it's actually the relief for the saints of Jerusalem because it's a love offering above and beyond their tithes. All right. Well, if you're following along with the notes this morning, you guys all have sermon notes or at least some of you. Okay. Cause first service, they didn't get handed out. So nobody had notes. Well, the first one, the completion of generous giving. And this is 2 Corinthians 9, 1 is where we're going to start. And Paul is saying, For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. We're going to take a break right there. Now that first couple words, the big word there, superfluous, Jen earlier said, uh, is it superfluous or is it superfluous? <laughs> she was just, and it got in my head. So anyways, I think it's superfluous, but it's kind of a funny word to us, and we don't hear it that often. Honestly, superfluous, all it means is it's not necessary. It's kind of extra. It's not really needed. So Paul knows the Corinthians are ready to give. He knew their willingness from a year before. But he says, I know it's unnecessary to write to you about this, but, but you are humans, Therefore, you are sinners who are prone to wander. Not to mention your track record as a church, as we've heard over this past few months, track record as a church of the of Corinthians hasn't been the greatest in the past. And this is such an important thing for the kingdom of God and his purposes. It's so important that I'm going to send this envoy to warn you to be prepared to give bountifully and with a cheerful heart. Well, here's the deal. They were flawed back then. And mankind is still flawed today. So we need these constant warnings and reminders. Paul also says, though, if any of these Macedonians who are dirt poor, if they show up and they see you guys, you Corinthians, who are actually well off, 
if they see you living in a different way than what we've boasted and portrayed about you, then it could completely deflate their excitement and hope. So he's pointing out that this is an important thing. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but my buddy Brian was actually going to be moving, and he asked me, hey, Gary, uh, can you help me out in a couple months? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm excited to help you out. Well, <laughs> a couple months rolled around, and I completely forgot. In fact, I scheduled something else on that day. So I had to shamefully go back to Brian and say, dude, I'm so sorry. I completely forgot, and I even had something else going on that day. Fortunately, he was graceful and said, don't worry about it. We had plenty of help. But obviously, this text right here has much weightier consequences. But it's the same idea. It's making a commitment in advance and not following through with it. And we've all heard the verse, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpens another. Well, that's what Paul is saying is taking place, but with churches, because one church is actually sharpening the other church. Because Corinth originally, a year prior, just by their excitement, enthusiasm to participate, actually stirred up and sharpened the Macedonians to have this overflow of generosity and love and joy. And now Paul is using the church, the Macedonian church, and their excitement to now stir and sharpen the Corinthian church. To not only get excited about it this time, but actually to complete it this time around. I love what Kent Hughes says here. Great generosity births exponential blessing. Here's the bottom line. We are to be a generous people. What we give, though material, glows with the golden light of eternity. Generosity unleashes that light. To be generous is divine. All right, so now Paul is sending this envoy made up of Titus and the two other brethren to warn them to be prepared and ready to execute the previous plan. But, you know, there was more at stake than this, just the humiliation of Paul and the Corinthians, because Paul actually says that his boasting in the Corinthians might prove empty or vain. So our generous giving is not something that saves us, but it is a demonstration that our faith is not in vain. So then before we see Paul said it was unnecessary to write to them, but then he states these possible humiliating outcomes, right? And also the importance of being ready and prepared. And now he says, it is necessary for me to give or send this envoy so that you give bountifully and not affected by covetousness. All right, number two, the reward of generous giving. Verse six, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I'm not a farmer, <laughs> but I do have some friends who are farmers. And when I talk to my buddy, especially Tyler McKean, I don't know if he's here today or not, but when I talk to him, he gets all excited when he talks about farming. He goes into this and that and the art of farming, and I kind of just shake my head like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry for that confession, Tyler. Um, but yeah, he goes into the particulars of it. But I'm definitely not a farmer, and yet I still have a really decent understanding of what reaping and sowing looks like and how it's applied. But we need to understand that back in the culture at that time, most people would farm to feed their families. And if they didn't, they had a really good understanding of the process of farming and how it went. So really, it was as normal as growing to the grocery store is for us today, really. So they understood clearly how important it was to sow bountifully, right? Toss it out bountifully. I mean, handfuls. Toss it out there bountifully, right? Because if you sowed sparingly, they had seen where you put one here, two there, maybe three, maybe four. 
They had seen the result of sparing or reaping sparingly, and it's not impressive. So they understood this. But with this picture in mind, Paul now illustrates the importance of giving generously. But, you know, God uses this illustration multiple times throughout Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. In fact, in Deuteronomy 15.10, it's a warning to God's people under the Old Covenant. It says, you shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. You know, we'll always have the poor with us, always. Interestingly enough, though, Macedonia is still among Europe's poorest countries. They have an unemployment rate of over 30%, and every third person lives below the poverty line. So this just proves that there will always be an opportunity for us to give generously to the poor. Paul also says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. You know, there was once a preacher who asked an interesting question. He said, imagine you were desperately thirsty, okay, and someone offered you a drink of water. Would you prefer they offer you a drink in an eyedropper or a gallon jug? He then had a follow-up question. He said, when it comes to giving, are you more like the eyedropper or a gallon jug? You know, God really wants us to sow the gallon jug worth of blessings so that we can reap that gallon jug worth of blessings in return. Verse 7 says, each man should give what he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. So each man is responsible first to decide in his heart what he should give, and then to give what he has decided. Because really, giving, guys, should come from an inward resolve. It's not something impulsive or even a casual decision. And in the text, we actually see that the Corinthian church had time to prepare. Thanks to the envoy, they, they warned them in enough time. So they had time to prepare. And we today, if we have time to prepare, we ought to take the time into consulting and praying to God asking him to maybe lay on our heart what it might be that we give, maybe a certain amount, whatever it might be. So that way it's not coming from a flippant or on-fly decision. Uh, it's actually coming from a wise and guided decision. Now, obviously, sometimes you're faced with those on-the-fly decisions, right? You're driving by and there's somebody on the side of the road who needs the assistance. Or maybe there's a family in need in crisis. But that is where the importance of having our hearts prepared beforehand to give bountifully. And cheerfully. So Paul's warning the churches back then, but it's also a warning for us today to be prepared as well. Now, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, a mother wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson, uh, so she actually gave her daughter a dollar and a quarter on their way into church. She said, All right, honey, uh, you can put in whichever one you would like in the offering plate, and you can keep the other one for yourself. <laughs> well, after church, they were on their way back out, and the mother asked, Honey, which one did you put in the offering plate? The daughter said, well, I was going to put the dollar in, but then the man in the pulpit said we should all be cheerful givers. And I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I kept the dollar. So I put the quarter in and kept the dollar. <laughs> all right, so maybe not that type of cheerful giver. Okay, 
Because being a cheerful giver actually involves a joyful willingness to meet the needs of others. It's the opposite of being an anxious giver. It's not the dollar and the quarter like, which one do I let go? It says you can have my material stuff because it's all God's anyways. But how are we able to give beyond our means, beyond our ability like the Macedonians did? Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. You know, Paul's reminding them that though any wealth they possess right now was given by God in the first place. So he can take it away as quickly as they got it. But this is important to know this morning, okay? Please don't misunderstand me. Um, this is not a self-help motivation. That says if you just try harder and you give more, then you'll be able to attain joy and you'll be a cheerful giver. It's not about that. Because in verse 8 here, it just said, it's the grace that abounds to us that allows to give cheerfully. This is where the gospel shines through. That grace that's a result of the cross is what makes us dependent on an all-sufficient God who meets our needs. But grace doesn't just supply feelings and emotions. Grace supplies faith. And this grace is a provision of both the spiritual grace and material prosperity. And actually, that spiritual grace and material prosperity enables us to constantly and generously give both spiritual and material benefits. You know, God will give us what we need to give to others, and we will always be rich enough to be generous. But if we doubt this, then we actually doubt his grace. You know, the grace given to the Macedonians is what led to that overflow and abundance of joy. And we as a church of faith right now have that same thing, that same grace that was given to Corinthians and Macedonians. The same truth in this letter to the churches of Greece applies to us right here, right now at Waterville in the year 2020. We still have the same opportunity and the same promise to be filled abundantly with the grace of God and to give and minister to others because his grace is sufficient. Hughes puts it this way. The generous giving heart will live in this grace so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In fact, Pastor Brent shared with us a few weeks ago that we can use the metric of grace to kind of see where a healthy church is. And this is exactly what's taken place because it's an internal characteristic of to see how the uh, Corinthian congregants, how they're going to respond to this letter. All right, on to number three, the result of generous giving. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. You know, the harvest of righteousness here of faith is shown through personal lives, but it's also shown through the ministries here of faith as well. We are a living example of how God provides when giving takes place. In fact, just a few weeks ago, if you remember Lisa's Night to Shine on that Monday night, there was not just a financial giving, 
but it was giving of time, resources, effort, a lot of love, a lot of joy. And our generous giving actually produced the results that God promised from the very beginning. And if you notice in the passage with these Corinthians and Macedonians, the actual being ready and willing uh, stirred up the churches just as much as the actual gift itself did. So the byproduct of the giving far outweighs the supplying of the needs because God is glorified through it all. Now, there are so many other areas of ministry in our church where the harvest of righteousness has taken place. But one that really stands out to me is the Mid-Main Homeless Shelter. I love this one. And Tim and Bev Fairchild and Nancy Mark Burton and many others, they, they do a wonderful job of representing Jesus at the shelter on a weekly basis. But this goes in step with the question that Pastor Brent's raised to us a couple times. He said, if we shut our church doors down tomorrow, would the community even notice? Would they miss us? Now, if you've ever been on the receiving end of, of generous giving, you know how awesome and incredible it can be. And also contagious. It's very contagious. Paul says that it will bring thanksgiving to God, and that's exactly what I've experienced in my own life. In fact, it's it's been quite a while ago now. This was back when I was traveling to Portland and back every day for work. And um, we were tight for cash. Chelsea and I were extremely tight. We were pinching pennies, and but we didn't let anybody know. We didn't tell anybody that we were very tight. In fact, I only had enough gas to make it to Portland. I didn't even have enough gas or money to make it home. Well, we ended up praying that night, and we had a calmness, and we had a confidence knowing that God would provide. We weren't sure how he was going to provide, whether it was from maybe getting a customer to pay me in Portland that day, or if I was going to have to borrow some money from a family member down in Portland to get home. But we knew God was going to provide. Well, early that morning, I headed out to my sweet Hyundai, Opened up the door, went to get inside the car, and noticed there was something on the floorboard. Reached down and picked it up, and there was a $100 bill. Whew, God is good. So good. And still to this day, I don't know how it got there. I don't know who put it there. But you know what? I was praising God. That was an answer to prayer. It built my faith. And Paul says right here, this is what giving generously does for someone else. It produces thanksgiving to God and ultimately God is glorified through it all. <clears throat> Pastor Brent shared with us about a month ago in his vision for the church. I don't know if you remember the very first one. He emphasized the importance of practicing a relevant gospel. He said it needs to be lived, not just shared, so that it's not coming from hypocrisy. But yet it's something, a genuine gospel that we live on a daily basis, not just Sunday morning. Now, practicing a relevant gospel will require us to be a generous people. Now, this is my favorite verse of this passage, verse 15 here. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This one word kept jumping out at me, indescribable. Some versions say inexpressible. But it's not just a great gift. It's not a wonderful gift or even a magnificent or extraordinary gift. It's indescribable. And we as humans try to grasp just how amazing this gift truly is. But it means there is no word to explain the value of this gift. There's no word to describe how wonderful it truly is. That's because this gift is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He took on our sins and became our guilt offering on our behalf. He not only just became our guilt offering, but he became our guilt to fully defeat death. You know, his precious blood makes it possible for us all to live eternally with him. And now we have eternal hope because of our savior of the world. And those who are accepting this and receiving this gift are actually receiving a gift that words cannot describe. 
You see, Jesus purchased our reconciliation. He reconciled us back with our Heavenly Father, restored that relationship with our Creator. And he enabled us to receive reconciliation and open this gift. And this gift, Jesus shines forth as the indescribable gift. God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. And that should stir up the service and praise that we would want to give back to God. So no matter what you're facing, whether it's loneliness this morning, depression, pain, sorrow, maybe financial issues, maybe marital issues, whatever it is, there is hope to overcome it. Nothing on our power, but because of this indescribable gift, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never accepted this gift, you are still lost and you're searching in a dark world. But there is hope because God sent his son to die for all of us and save all of us if we accept that gift. And actually receiving this gift is done by recognizing that you're a sinner. And most of us, that's pretty easy to do, to recognize we're sinners. But also to ask him to forgive those sins and then turn from them. And then call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be the savior of your life. And try to live a life the best you can that's pleasing to him. Now, certainly you are not going to live a life perfectly after you accept this gift. But you at least can become more Christ-like as he grows you into that type of a Christian. Now, you don't have to wait till you're good enough or uh, come into church on a regular basis. You don't have to be paying tithes or anything like that because God is constantly pursuing you and he'll meet you right where you are if you let him. You know, we are to give his cheerful givers knowing that he's already given us all that we ever need in this indescribable gift. And yet he continues to pour out his love and abundance of joy on us. No matter what we give, God has given more. Romans 3.28 talks about how we are justified by faith. So we're justified by faith, that one time freely forever. So it's not by our works. However, James reminds believers that faith without works is dead. So Paul is showing us that our faith will motivate us to do good works for our Father. And doing good works by giving generously goes hand in hand with being a follower of Christ. Kent Hughes says mere giving itself is no sign of grace or redemption. It will save no one's soul. The giving of the redeemed is a response to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a verse that we keep going back, I know Paul, uh, Pastor Brent has referenced it a couple times over the past couple weeks as well, is Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Simply, really, as believers, those who receive this grace, this abundance of grace, simply give. Now, in closing this morning, I want to wrap up this series on the past couple weeks and this morning, because uh, we heard a couple weeks ago from Pastor Brent about gen- graceful generosity from the Macedonians. And he said, God's generous heart is shown through God's generous people. Visible integrity was number two, as we heard last week, because Paul was a man of his word. And the Christian life is a life on display. And then this morning we talked about sustainable generosity. Because the Macedonians, as we've talked about, the Corinthians, and all of us as believers are able to give generously because his grace abounds. That's sustainable generosity. But you know what's so cool? Is that with the inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God? You guys heard that before? (laughs) Uh, We're able to see what the end result is. Because we see what the response is from Achaia and Macedonia in Romans 15. 
It says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So evidently, in the five or so months between the writings of 2 Corinthians and Romans, the believers at Corinth had responded to Paul's appeals. And they were pleased to do so. And now this offering, this willing offering, actually helped unite the Jews and the Gentiles. In a book called Redeeming Money, Paul Tripp says, God sent his son to live, die, and rise again so that you and I would have everything we need to live, love, and serve as God intended between the already of our conversion and the not yet of our final kingdom. This morning, I encourage all of us, including me, to live our lives knowing that we should live our lives ready, willing, and generous because of that indescribable gift. I've said that word a lot today. (laughs) Indescribable gift. And really giving generously is the ordinary mark of a follower of God. Will you guys please stand with me and close in prayer? Dear God, thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. Lord, thank you for your holy word and giving us this instruction to live by and live a life that's joyful and pleasing to you. Lord, give us a generous heart like the Macedonians and the Corinthians that flows from that grace, Lord, and constantly so that we can give generously to others and especially in the body of Christ this morning. Lord, we love you and ask for your safety this morning as we travel home and bring us back safely next week. In your name, amen.